Thank you, Nell. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 1. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd pass those to the aisle, we'd like to collect those. Kenny or Will will get those for us. I'd like to mention a couple of things. One, I want to just thank the church family for your prayers this week. I'm standing today. I'm convinced because of them. Um, And uh, I appreciate that more than I can say. Also, I want to um, uh, share... um, some wonderful news that the church is overwhelmingly called uh, Craig Calhoun to serve as an elder and we're glad to have him on our elder council. Please pray for him and and our elders as we seek to lead um, and serve the Lord here. So as we look at uh, this whole theme of uh, an assault on God's design, that's where we left off a couple of weeks ago and I want to revisit that again this morning and the next couple Lord's Days. The rapid changes in the world have not only connected the the globe through the internet, but have brought an entirely new set of rules and values. Vaughn Roberts in his um, little book, Transgender, wrote, Christians living in Western culture have enjoyed the benefit of being in a world which largely shared our assumptions about what is fundamentally right and wrong. We can no longer assume that is the case. That's for sure. Reality in the present cultural climate is is determined by what a person feels. That's reality. And then you have 7 billion people determining reality by what they feel and you have chaos on a massive scale. What one believes about what reality is, irrespective of what is true by revelation, or history, or experience, or just plain common sense, is out the window. Even more authoritatively, a complete rejection of what God has said and what God has done in creation and through his word. The opinion of the individual has been elevated to determine what reality is and the dominant factor for one's life and worldview. For instance, the reason a biological male has been, has been, hello? Yeah. The reason a biological male has been allowed to compete in women's sports And when a national championship is because society has yielded to the individual the right to determine what reality is and no one has had the courage to stand up and say, no, you have been created male. You're not a female. All human history has affirmed this distinction. If you want to swim for a national championship, it will be in a pool with with other biological males. This is not prejudicial. You are not being wronged. We are keeping the categories established by the God who created the world and everything in it. Nobody said that. A a small minority, but they haven't fared well. Reality is whatever the individual imagines it to be. What is true is determined subjectively by each person. And there's no such thing as objective truth in in that mindset. Now, I would remind us that we're not speaking to a convention of LGBTQ activists. I'm convinced I'd be booed off the stage by this point. No, I'm a pastor, and I pastor a local congregation, and I feel a real burden for the people I pastor, that they would be equipped for every good work, that you would live for Christ where 
in your spheres of influence as you leave this place and go out to fulfill your vocation that you would, you would live for Jesus Christ. You would stand for his truth. So I'm not calling you to political activism. I'm not calling you to some agenda. I'm calling us to let's embrace biblical truth and seek to live out faithfully what it means to follow him in this present cultural confusion. My purpose in this series is is really to encourage and equip the body to live as God's called out people in this world. So with that, I, I would begin first with the world God created and the rules that govern it. We need to be well-versed in this and not hesitate in communicating these truths to those that we come across in our daily conversations. There's a story told of the night the Green Bay Packers lost a game that they were expected to win. This was back in the 1960s under the Vince Lombardi uh, era. And the team took a long bus ride back and Coach Lombardi made the players put on their sweaty uniforms and march back onto Lambeau Field. The coach huddled them together and held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Vince Lombardi knew one of the fundamentals of winning a football game is the firm grasp of basics. The same is true of the Christian life. So in the spirit of that bitterly cold experience on Lambeau Field, I think it's always bitterly cold in Lambeau Field, even in July, I hold up this black leather book and say to you, brothers and sisters, this is God's word. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but this will stand as an enduring statement for all of time. You're a fool if you ignore it. And so, in its pages, you, you learn how you can know the God who is and his will for your life. You learn of his love, which we have sung about so powerfully this morning in the songs before us. We learn of our sin and our separation from God. We learn of Jesus' payment that we might be brought back to God and we know that we have a future and a hope with him. The Bible not only claims to give answers to these questions, but also calls us to embrace the full revelation of all God has for us in his promises. I was reminded of a proverb at this point, Proverbs 4.4, which says, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. And just interesting in looking at this proverb, um, the, the words hold fast come from the, the single Hebrew term to grasp, to seize, to lay hold of. And when we think about our intake of scripture, whether it's reading or hearing or studying or memorizing or meditating on it, we're wanting to hold fast to it that the word of God would have a firm grip on us. And as we look to God's design for the human family, we look to Genesis, which begins in verse one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it answers the basic questions of life, where we come from, and that's a, that's a common child, childhood question. We're often asked um, by children, where do we come from? We can answer in the natural realm, well, you came from your mother. (laughs) But they're wanting something deeper than that. Where did, well, where did grandma come? 
come from? Well, she came from her mother as well. Well, going all the way back, we read in Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing in his own image. And so every creepy thing that creeps on the earth, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter two, if you'll turn the page, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So we as the human race, the human family, we were, we were brought from dust to glory uh, in Jesus Christ. And not only uh, the creation of man, but the entire human family is rooted back here uh, to the beginning. And this meaning of the image of God uh, could be summarized this way that every human being is brought up in the image of God, or or is made in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God, which means that that man is like God and represents God. So, of all the creation of the earth, we are like God and we represent him in a way that's unique. And so, what, what went wrong? Well, sin, had, sin has come. Adam and Eve's disobedience has come. And that brought a fall into sin and it's affected everything. It's what you and I deal with. It's our biggest problem. And so the fall into sin is reversed only through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. The reason we love to speak of the cross is because that is God's answer to our misery. And so... It's in Christ we learn the purpose of life. We're to glorify God through humble obedience to him. And we're to take delight in him, in our relationship to him, and ultimately to enjoy him forever. When we gather as the church, the, a, a local body of believers, we come together with many things resolved. And my messages are primarily designed for the believers of this church. Something's wrong if somebody comes in and they don't hear the gospel. So without exception, in every message, there is the gospel message that what God has done through Jesus Christ. But to really address the church and call the church to follow him. And one of the things we have resolved is what is the authority for our faith and practice? Your opinion? My opinion? What's that worth? It's not based on what we feel, how sincere we may be about what we feel. We have this conviction that the authority for our faith and practice is God's word. Brothers and sisters, this is a Bible. Hide it in your heart, treasure it in your heart. It's what we need most. The Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation to us. So I find it incredibly faith affirming that Jesus Christ never questioned the authority of the Old Testament. Jesus never said in his ministry, you know, the Old Testament's kind of weird. 
It's kind of shaky. No, on the contrary, he referred to all the Old Testament after his resurrection when he said to his disciples that all the Old Testament, the, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms spoke about him. He quoted the Old Testament freely. In fact, it was the only Bible he had. Jesus affirmed all the teachings of the Old Testament and said that he had come to fulfill them. And Jesus affirmed in the Old Testament creation, marriage, Adam and Eve and sin, the need for salvation, sexuality and gender. Look with me at Matthew 19 for a moment. Here's an example as you bring the Bible to bear on your thinking, on your beliefs, on what you're going to believe. Here Jesus is asked a question about divorce in Matthew 19. Verse 3, actually the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God's joined together, let no man separate. And so Jesus brings together Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in an answer to this question concerning marriage and divorce. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so Jesus believed in Genesis. Jesus believed in the authority of the Old Testament. And so the world God has created and the rules that govern it, let, govern it. Let's move secondly. God has given and established boundaries for human flourishing and human blessing. God has given and established boundaries for human flourishing. And I've listed a number of things in your insert that may be helpful to you. Just as we look at sex and gender, which is such a hot topic today, Scripture is very clear about the place God has designed for men and women in the family and in the church, and in society for that matter. And it is to Scripture we must turn to embrace the wonders of God's design. I would remind you from Genesis 1.27 that the human race was created in the image of God. We were created like him and to represent him. And male and female, we were created um, as in his image, created male and female. So what's a woman? <laughs> now that's a question, isn't it? Well, let's just take a minute on that. What is a woman? The question came to the forefront recently in the confirmation hearings of Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Jackson, who was unable to answer, refused to answer the question, what is a woman? Albert Moeller, in his valuable book, The Gathering Storm, he said, we understand, given the LGBTQ movement and political commitments to that movement, that she was in a very difficult position. But the, that in itself is a story, isn't it? Because if you're in a position there where even as a woman in, your, in her case, or as a man, you can't answer that question, 
What is, what is a woman? You can't answer that question. If you can't answer that question because politically you can't live with answering that question, uh, we're living in very troubled times. How should a believer answer that question? What is a woman? Dr. Moeller suggests I would give, I would simply answer this way. Look to the book of Genesis. The woman is the human being made in God's image. Just as the man who is nonetheless distinct from a man and being created out of the man and being created as a woman and given an identity as woman that is as basic as the genetic structure in the female XX, whereas the male is XY. There's also a physical constitution, which is a difference between male and female. There is a reproductive function and a conjugal union that requires the male to be male and the female to be female. The female is created not only so that, that there is the rightness of the conjugal union, they were naked and not ashamed, they came together, which was the consummation of that spiritual union. The female is created not only so that there is a righteous rightness to that union, but so that the new life that comes out of that union may be gestated in her, may actually grow in her and be nurtured in her until the moment of birth. Men cannot deliver babies. There are obvious distinctions. Give birth to babies. And so as we look at gender and sex, we must look to God's blueprint for it all. And as we look at the whole idea, how's marriage defined coming out of sex and gender? How is marriage defined? Our text this morning uh, for scripture reading was Colossians 3, 18 through 19, where it speaks about wives and husbands and children and fathers. and, And what are we to pull away from a biblical definition of marriage? And I have that listed for you in your insert. I just want to deal with a few of them today and we'll pick up again next week. But marriage is meant to be monogamous. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Adultery, fornication, any expression, sexual expression outside of marriage, God has clearly said is forbidden for you. It's heterosexual. The reason Christians are opposed to so-called same-sex marriage is because it's a flagrant assault on God's design. So we're Christians, we live in a pluralistic society, we live in a republic where um, we're able to participate in the political process and the political tides that are powers that would be have determined that this is a legal status right now. That doesn't mean that we embrace it as true or as good. In fact, that was our defense during the last 25 years as we've seen this snowball effort uh, moving forward is to say this is not good for us. This is a violation of, um, of God's law. This is not good for us as a nation. It's an experiment. You, you're not prepared to receive the results The reason Christians oppose so-called same-sex marriage is because it's a flagrant assault on God's design. Let's be clear. For those contemplating same-sex desires or living 
out homosexual behaviors, same-sex attractions, whatever it may be, or one who is in some spectrum of trans, a transgender process. There's no place we would rather you be than here with the rest of us sinners. But that's not the issue for many. They're, they're wanting a rubber stamp on how they define love and relationships and marriage and everything else. But we are not able to do that because of our commitment to Christ. There's no place we would rather them be than here, listening to the word of God, hearing the gospel of grace found in Jesus Christ, which is our only hope. So we're not a group of people here gathered together who have it all together. We're sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ And apart from that, we would perish in our sins. And so we hold that out to you and hope that God would do a work in your life. And so we're hearing a lot these days, well, you know, you Christians, and this is where the real flashpoint will come. We believe love is love. Love love is love. And you've probably heard that phrase, which has been really um, popularized on a number of fronts over the last six or seven years. And that is nobody has the right to say who I can love or what love is. I'm gonna love who I want and you need to sanction that. And if you don't sanction that, you're a hateful, bigoted person. And so a man who wants to have relations with a man or a woman with a woman Who are you to object because love is love? Love is love. Adults sexually preying on children. By the way, I think that's the next in the plus sign. I think it's a big P for pedophile. And if you call it that, you will be um, censored or ruled out of order. So adults sexually preying on children... You don't call them pedophiles, you call them minor attracted people. Because love is love. But that's not the love of the Bible. In fact, that's not love at all. We cannot love what God condemns. So pastor, what do, you know, I got friends, they're they're getting ready to have a, they're homosexual, they're getting ready to have a lesbian, they're getting ready to have a, a, a wedding. You know, what am, what am I going to do? Well, you have a decision to make, don't you? Do you think I should go? Absolutely, you should not go. Your very presence there, there communicates you support that. And so I think it would be wiser to say, you know, I love you, but my witness to my Savior is what is what I must listen to. And so I value our friendship. I long for you to know the Christ I know, but I'm not able to go on biblical grounds. So the flashpoint comes here, is um, you take that kind of stand and you know, people begin to say, why do you go to that bigoted church where pastors, your pastor preaches these hate-filled messages? Doesn't he know love is love? We can't call something love that God condemns. Let's just take it into the heterosexual realm for a moment. 
and a man leaves his wife. Well, you know, that's probably a good thing. He had a bad marriage and, um, you know, he deserves to be happy. You know, his, his love is for this new woman. Are we to sanction that? Of course we're not to, to sanction that. That shatters the marriage covenant. The short of it is we're not, we're not allowed to affirm what God has gone on record to condemn as we move down that list, we're called to be fruitful and multiply. We see the, the picture of children in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this is pleasing in the Lord. And we're going to come back to this with regard to parenting and nurturing children. Fathers not uh, provoking their children to, to be discouraged. So men and women are, are human beings, biologically male and female. But there are different roles and I want to spend our time next, uh, next Lord's Day on this subject of complementary uh, roles in marriage and in the church, and that men are distinct and separate. And here's one of the things that you can be fighting in your, in your mindset, is we live in a unisex culture where there's to be no distinction between male and female. Share the same locker room. I was reading an article recently on college females moving into the dorm. And now it's, co it's you know, it's, they're on the same floor. They're, male and female are on the same floor. And just uh, the, the rapid increase of sexual assault in college dorms. There are many other fallouts from this. But we see this clearly in work environments and in school and in basically any uh, public interaction where there's this intentional blending of the sexes that was never intended to be. There's a distinction to be made. Distinct and separate, permanent in this life, marriage that is, a mysterious union when hu husband and wife come together, the two become one. And then I, I'll close with this, and that is intimacy. In Genesis 2.25, they were both naked and not ashamed. So God created sexual intimacy, and he created it in the confines of marriage. In Hebrews 13.4, he said, let marriage be held in honor among all people. So that's a creative ordinance, honor marriage. We need to honor marriage and how that's defined biblically. A man and a woman for a lifetime. That should be our desire, to honor marriage. And then he goes on to say, uh, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So there he's talking in the heterosexual realm, sexual sin, fornication, marriage, or uh, sexual relations, um, before marriage or outside of marriage in that way, adultery, leaving the marriage covenant and entering into sexual sin. God says, I will judge. What does that mean? He'll strike you dead? Well, obviously not because we're in this room today. But there's a warning there that sexual sin carries with it scars, pains, hurt, What's the answer to all of this? Well, that brings us full circle.
back to Colossians 3. I, I hope you've made the circle with me this morning, but it brings us back to Colossians 3. And that, the answer to that is in Christ. And follow with me and we'll land the plane here. Colossians 3, the first thing I would mention is that embracing our calling as God's called out people. We live at this time in history. God has called us to honor him in our generation. What does that mean? Well, it begins first with putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, verses one through four of Colossians 3. He says, set your minds, verse two, on things that are above, that we're to to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow him. How do I put on the Lord Jesus Christ? That comes with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You believe the, everything the scripture says about who he is, that he was God's son, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross to, to pay for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world, and that he arose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand uh, of God, and he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ means to appropriate his, his grace into your, your heart, your sin, your life. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, verse 15. Regardless of the chaos of this present day, Jesus Christ remains on the throne. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How do we do that? That leads secondly to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is, we're thinking about what God has said. We're evaluating the situations of life by what God has said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then in verse 17, whatever you do, do do it in his name. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Albert Moeller offers a word to the church in these confused days. Our society stands on the brink of disaster. The great question remaining is whether there is enough sanity and courage left to avoid the total abdication of truth. It is now plain to see that we face a demand to jump into the deep end of a, of a pool of mass delusion. Whatever it takes, summon the courage to resist that dive Love for Jesus Christ and his authoritative word is the firm foundation that will keep you anchored to what will always be true no matter how fierce the cultural winds may blow. As followers of him, we, we believe that all authority in heaven and on earth is found in him. He is not silent on what we're to believe. We are to obey and we are to live Accordingly, Abraham Kuyper was a Dutch theologian and national leader years ago in the Netherlands. And he once said this, this is a wonderful quote. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's mine. Marriage, it's mine. The church, it's mine. 
Government, I've established it. It's mine. It's in rebellion to me, but it's mine. The last thing Jesus said to the disciples was, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's mine. And one day, all these things will be subjected to him. The glorious privilege we have right now is we bow before him, acknowledging this in worship and in praise. Jesus said in John 10, last word, and then we're going to go into a time of responding. Jesus said in Matthew 10, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Who are you going to live for? Wow, you, it sounds like you're, well, it sounds like you're telling us to count the cost. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm a good foundation for that. Because Jesus said that all who would come to him need to count the cost. And I pray we would every day. Lord, I'm yours. Every square inch of this universe is yours. Maybe this morning um, the Lord has stirred you. I know this was a wide potpourri of applications, but maybe it stirred you this morning regarding your relationship with Christ. Did you really mean it, Pastor, when you said um, that you know, those dealing with same-sex issues, homosexual, lesbian issues, trans issues, that you really would want them here? If they wanted to hear the truth and would be open, we would love to have a friendship with them. And that would be true of any sinner, whatever the issue. Even you. And the beauty of the gospel is, Jesus says, said, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And maybe that's what your soul needs more than any, anything else. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, as we come to the end of this service, we want it to be completely surrendered to you, beginning with our hearts. I pray that you would help us as believers in Jesus Christ to determine what is of the culture, what is of this world, that we would be a humble people, a bold people, a courageous people, a truth-driven people. And truth drives us to your word and your word takes us to the cross because that's what we need most is, is a personal relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. There are, not, there are not many ways to you. There's one way and that is through Jesus alone who is the way, the truth, and the life. So I pray in these closing moments they would be moments of surrender to you and a resolve to leave to live in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.